1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we typically go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and that's what we're doing with 1 Corinthians. We're almost done. And then we will be in, uh, there'll be a couple weeks, the picnic, uh, Jim Fickert will preach, the flying seven-foot Dutchman that uh, is uh, the leader of Communion Church up there, and then we will be into Malachi, and we'll go verse by verse through Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, then we'll go through Matthew, which is going to take us a heck of a long time, so uh, it's going to be joyful. So, verse 3 of chapter 15, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I read that just to set the stage for where we're going. And this is where we're going. If you didn't know, Buddha is dead. Confucius, he's dead. Muhammad, he's dead. Gandhi is dead. Elvis is dead. Tupac is dead. But Jesus... Live. Chapter 15 is the chapter in the Bible that says more about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other chapter. Jesus Christ is the only man in history, in the history of the world, since its beginning, who's risen from the dead. And though the Bible records, <clears throat> the Bible itself records stories of different people who died and were revived. Men like Lazarus, they all died again. The hope for my life, can't speak for you, but the hope for my life, the hope for my family, the hope for my church, the hope for my friends, the hope for the world rests on the one undeniable truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and will never, ever, ever, ever die again. Now Paul's going to give somewhat of a scenario of what if Jesus Christ is still dead in his argument for the Corinthians here. If Jesus of Nazareth is still dead, then everything that I hope and live for is dead or dying. Without the resurrection, Jesus Christ is at best a nut job. And at worst, an evil liar. Without the resurrection, Jesus Christ is just another man who did some good things but made some huge empty promises. Without the resurrection, Jesus Christ cannot help me in this life or the next. Without the resurrection, I, we, you, have no one to save me. 
No one to heal me. No one to forgive me. No one to return for me. Without the resurrection, my life is meaningless. And so is yours. In my current difficult situation, right? Dealing with past issues. Dealing with a marriage that is difficult. Dealing with financial stress. Dealing with bad health. All those things. That situation is pretty hopeless. For all I have is myself. There's no hope beyond my own strength. And there's no certain future beyond this life without the resurrection. That's a pretty despairing way of living. So as you can see, the resurrection is essential to the Christian life. It is foundational to the Christian faith. There is no faith without it. Even though there are many in this culture, in the culture we live in, the generation right now, in this city, in this state, in this time, there are many who love Jesus. They love Jesus the servant. They love Jesus the teacher. They love Jesus the healer. They they love Jesus the friend of sinners. They love Jesus the carpenter, the hard worker. But there are very few, in fact, there are fewer than more in the history of the world that love Jesus. Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And the Corinthian church is in the midst of a culture that does not believe in the resurrection. And they have already, if we remember back in the 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and the end of chapter 1, I believe, as well, they had given in to the pressure of the culture and they begun to deny the offensiveness of the crucifixion. They're like, that's kind of yucky. Someone dying on the cross. I mean, what kind of hero was that? So they're like, yeah, let's not talk about the cross anymore. Because the culture thought it was brutal. And now we see that members of the Corinthian church have now begun to deny the resurrection. So in chapter 15, Paul begins what I just read, his defense, by offering these proofs. Like, let me me tell you about the resurrection. Let me give you some evidence, proof, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's where he starts. And what are his proofs? He begins by, says, Jesus' resurrection was predicted by the Old Testament. It was even predicted by Jesus himself. Many, many, many years prior to it happening. The Old Testament prophets said it would. He says that Jesus suffered and died at the hands of professional executioners. The Roman soldiers knew how to kill people. They were good at it. Jesus was dead, dead. He says Jesus was buried, right? And if we remember the Gospels at all, the the story, he was buried in a very familiar, well-marked, easy-to-find tomb of a rich guy. Everyone knew where the tomb was. It wasn't like, where did they put Jesus? They put it in Joseph's tomb. Jesus, he says, appeared physically to his friends, to his disciples. And we know again by the story that he appeared and he ate with his disciples. He was touched by his disciples. He also appeared, Paul says, to more than 500 people at one time. Now, you can fool a couple people, but not 500 people at one time, Paul says, most of which are still alive, go ask them. 
He says, in fact, Jesus even was recognized by his family, his brother James, who didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And then something changed. Maybe it was his face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus. Definitely was it. And Paul says, if that's not enough, the final proof is his enemies, namely himself, now worship Jesus. Paul hated Jesus. Paul hated Christians. You go, well, what, what, what changed? This is a guy that killed Christians. I'm thinking resurrected Jesus showed up and changed his mind. So he says, the resurrection is true. Here are the proofs. And then he continues in, I'm going to begin in verse 12 here, by talking about the danger of denying these truths. What happens if we just kind of go, well, resurrection is not that big a deal. It's not important if someone believes in it. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 12, and I'll read through 19. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed, so he's talking about his gospel, what he's preached. If, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Doesn't make sense. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep, who have died, your brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? They're gone. They've perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, the Corinthians have begun to believe a different gospel than Paul preached. And you see this, quite frankly, in churches. They start to take away pieces of the gospel, but they'll still talk about Jesus. The Corinthians talk about Jesus. But they have begun to deny some of the foundational truths about Jesus. Namely, in this case, they're preaching a gospel without the crucifixion and without the resurrection. That doesn't really work. Paul is concerned because if there is no physical resurrection of the dead, then there is no gospel. There is no no Christianity. The event, right? The thing that go, I'm a Christian because, because you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Don't let your first thought, like when someone says, what makes you a Christian? Well, I'm a good person. (laughs) Wrong. I read the Bible. Wrong. I know you don't read that much, right? I pray. No. The first thing is you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the thing that distinguishes you from any other religion, any other people. Your leader is no longer in the tomb. See, the Greeks at this time, they believed in immortality of the spirit. But that the body was this prison and was mortal and it was destroyed. 
But the gospel Paul preached said that the body and soul are God's creation and that both experience the resurrection. See, on the last day, which I pray today, quite frankly, if it happened right now, I wouldn't be like, Lord, let me finish. It's really good, right? I'd just be like, oh, amen. Praise God. On the last day, God intends to restore everything that was corrupted in creation by sin, including our bodies. And our eternity will be spent in a state of perfectly restored physical glory like Jesus, and we will be with Jesus as glorified human beings, not as ghosts. The Corinthians believe the dead don't ever rise. Never. And Paul says, look, the denial of that truth begins with the lie that Christ's body is still in the tomb somewhere. But it doesn't end there. And he goes on to explain, here's what happens when you say, I don't believe in this. If there is no resurrection, Paul says, our preaching is hollow. Well, what, what does that mean? It means the story of Jesus is just that. It's just a story. It has absolutely no power or substance. See, everyone, no matter who you are, whether you are a believer or not, everyone agrees that the death of Jesus of Nazareth is horrible and unjust. Quite frankly, you're an idiot if you don't believe that. You've got a 30-year-old carpenter named Jesus who does nothing but serve and love people, and he is accused falsely, tried illegally, and murdered brutally. That's horrible. And without the resurrection, guess what? That's all it is. Without the resurrection, this story offers nothing more than confirmation that the world is broken. That's it. And guess what? We can watch the news to figure that out. Heck, we look at our own lives to figure that out. That's all it does. He's like, preaching's hollow. I'm telling you something you already know. He goes on to say, if, if there is no resurrection, then your faith is empty. I, Sam Ford, you, if you're a Christian, if there's no resurrection... I find myself, you find yourself believing lies and putting hope in false promises. See, without the resurrection, um, I trust in something that actually has absolutely no power. It's quite sad. It cannot save me. It cannot forgive me. It cannot heal me. It cannot provide any comfort in pain, any hope in death. My, my faith is useless. I'm trusting in something that's just not true. It is as Bill Morrow would say, a crutch, a really bad one, if there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, anytime you have shared that, as Paul did, you've lied about God. That's a pretty interesting one. See, the gospel is about God, okay? The gospel isn't about men. The gospel is not advice about what men are to do. The gospel is about what God has done for men. So if you are preaching the gospel, and if Christ did not rise, and you're like, Jesus rose from the dead, you are lying about what God has done. 
God still exists. You're just lying about him. Now, who was the last person, or maybe you should say the first person, to lie about God? Hmm. Satan. Right? Satan. So, like, I'm no better than Satan. I am a son of the father of lies, saying things like, what happened in the Garden of Eden? He comes to Adam and Eve, and he tells them things about God that aren't true. So that's who I am. If I'm up here, I am right now, if there's no resurrection, I am lying to you. So I'm pulling condemnation upon, double condemnation upon myself. If there's no resurrection, Paul says, we are in our sins. This is probably the deepest one. Because see, without the resurrection, well, God is still good. God is still just, and I am still bad, and God is still ticked. He's still angry at me, and rightfully so, for my rebellion. And if I'm just stuck in my own ungodliness, because that's all I got is sin and a lot of it, I have no way to be in the presence of a holy God. My, my, any good I might be able to muster, it's never going to be good enough because guess what? It, it's not perfect. So my, I can't even be in God's presence. God cannot have me in His presence. I will always fall short of perfection. And without the resurrection, I don't even have the, I don't have the power to stop sinning. And I certainly do not have the power to escape the coming wrath of God. If I'm in my sins, sin completely controls me and sin completely condemns me. That's the importance of the resurrection. And you can think of what the opposite is, which will hit if it is true. And finally, Paul says, if there's no resurrection, this is sad. If anyone has lost a loved one in Christ, if there's no resurrection, my grieving just changed. Your grieving just changed. Paul says in Thessalonians, I believe, that we grieve, but we grieve differently. Not if there's a resurrection, we grieve the same as everybody else. See, without the resurrection, believers do not enter into heaven with Jesus. He ain't there. There is no love, there is no rest, there is no joy, there is no hope beyond the grave. Death is the invincible enemy, and I should do everything I can to avoid it because it's scary. I should be fearful of death. I should hide away in a bubble somewhere because death is creeping. We're all dying. Every single one of us, the day we're born, we've got a certain number of years. Right now we're dying. Some of us are not going to be here perhaps next year, perhaps sooner than that. And if there is no hope after the grave, we should be scared to death, scared of death. If there is no resurrection, Paul basically says, there's no hope beyond this life. This is all there is. And guess what? It's pretty bad. We should, as the Corinthians do say later in this chapter, he kind of quotes them, go eat and drink for tomorrow we could possibly die. Let's just sin it up. What's the point? Because without the resurrection, what we do in the present world don't matter. Doesn't matter what I do. 
I'm not obligated to accomplish anything while I'm here. I'm not obligated. Like, it's interesting. Our culture has this idea of like, well, you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Says who? What does it matter? Who made the rules? Without the resurrection, think about this. We're like the disciples on a perpetual Saturday after Good Friday. You ever think about the Saturday after Good Friday? What a dark day that must have been. Remember, all the disciples ran. Peter denied. And they're sitting on Saturday with Christ in the tomb, depressed, angry, confused. They've given three years of their lives. So you're going to tell me now, the man who they thought to be king who now died, right? They suddenly, I mean, how pitiful is it for these guys knowing Jesus is in the tomb if there's no resurrection. They didn't really meet the resurrected Christ, so they know he's in the tomb. They decide, you know what, guys? Here's how we deal with all our depression. Let's go live our lives preaching and and giving and sacrificing and suffering and dying for this hopeless lie. Sounds good. Let's go. Really? What What a pitiful, stupid decision that was. And you can read 2 Corinthians 11 and and list out all the things that Paul experienced because of his faith in the resurrection. The beatings, the drownings, the mockery, the stress he just talks about, the anxiety I have for the churches. Like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do this. I know it's not true, but hey, it'd be fun. I mean, if there's no resurrection, why witness? Paul even says, like, why, why endure persecution? Why deny themselves anything? What a, what a pitiful way to spend the time on this pleasure-filled planet. But what if the resurrection did happen? Paul says in verse 20, this is why we live this way. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Fact, but in fact, historical fact. This is what distinguishes you, believer. You believe in this. It's not just myth, not this idea, the historical fact that Jesus Christ really died. He really rose from the grave, and people really saw him, and he really ascended to heaven 40 days later, and he's really coming again. The fact says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Another word for died. For as by man, a man, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. You know there's an end. For those of you who are not believers, you need to know that there's an end coming. And it could be any moment. He said, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Quoting Psalm 110. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Because when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Peter, James, John, Paul, Nathaniel, Andrew, Thomas, all these guys who suffered and died because they experienced and saw Jesus Christ himself resurrected. These believers are not to be pitied, but they're to be imitated because God did raise Jesus from the dead in the same way that he will raise us from the dead one day. See, at birth, all men are made dead in Adam. And at rebirth, by grace, men are made alive in Christ. And we experience this spiritually now, but physically in the future. How do I know that? We still die. We're all going to die. So the question is, Paul is like, Corinthians are probably asking, why doesn't he just restore us right now? Why don't you just like physically and spiritually just do it all in one big move? And Paul doesn't try to defend. He says, look, there's an order to things. And here's the order in case you're wondering of how all is going to end up. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' rule right now. Jesus' return. Jesus resurrecting those who belong to him and Jesus judging those who don't. And so there is this this tension, this now and this kind of not yet way to experience the kingdom. So right now, Jesus Christ is reigning as Lord and King. He is working in ways that We can see, but in most ways, we often cannot. He is working to bring every rule and authority and power under His rule, saving more and more and more people before He returns. That's what's happening now. And then, at His return, we will see God's enemies finally destroyed by Jesus, including death. And our spirits will be reunited with our bodies so we are like Jesus. In the same way He had a resurrected body and we will be delivered back to the Father by Jesus. Fully restored. Beautiful. I'll look good. So will you, okay? And you think about the significance of that as we look at our broken bodies, right? The extra weight, the diseases, the missing limbs, the things that just don't work anymore. Oh, there'll be a time where it all works perfectly. You'll look good. All look good. 
They'd be like, eh, look at me, I look good. Oh, you look good. There'll be no coveting. Right? We'll just have encouragement all around. So Jesus is reigning. I mean, think about this for a second. Jesus is reigning since the resurrection. He is reigning. He is ruling. Okay. How would your attitude change if you believe that? I mean, seriously, how would your attitude change if you really believe and live Jesus rules? Like, I know, even though we, we see sin and death bringing damage and sorrow to our lives, we can't ignore that. But the resurrection unmasks them as conquered enemies. They don't have the last word. Christ's resurrection signaled this this cosmic change that is experienced now, but also in the future. But there is a nowness to us. And the the implication I think Paul is trying to get to is that if we genuinely believe in the resurrection, I mean, genuinely think about it beyond just Easter Sunday. We're thinking about the resurrection, living the extra. We will live differently. Even though right now there are 64% of Americans who believe still in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, and those who claim to be Christian, 94% still claim to believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think 100% are confused about how that truth impacts their daily lives. I believe that. What the snarf does that mean? Right? If you're a Christian, I bet if I asked you a question, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you would say yes. So here's my question for you that gets you, right? Don't ask me that one. As we consider whether the resurrection changes how I actually live, okay? That's the question. Just think about that. Here's how you'll know. If you stop right now believing in the resurrection, how would your life look different? I don't know if it would. It's a problem, isn't it? To stop believing in the resurrection, and my life doesn't look any different, did I ever actually believe in the resurrection at all? Because it should impact the way I view everything. This one truth. So here's what I've just sat, I don't fully understand it yet. I'm sitting on this going, okay, what does this mean? I've got some ideas, and I'm just going to lay them out to you really fast like a fire hose, and you just got to drink it up, okay? Get some drips on you if you can. All right. Belief in the resurrection, right? Number one, it gives me an identity in my life right now as what? I'm a servant of the living king who died for me. That's who I am. Who am I? That! I'm a servant of the king. I am provided for I am protected by the king as a citizen of his kingdom. And my desire, my heart desire in my life, as I go, what, who am I? What, what am I to My heart desire is to bring honor to the king by living honorably and by heralding his lordship to everyone else. And so when I interact, I'm interacting with people knowing that, oh, there's a king. 
look at everything differently. And even if there are some people in his kingdom who don't want to honor his rule, I go, he's still king. Gives me identity. Also, belief in the resurrection gives me purpose in life. What does that mean? I know that what I do in this life matters in the next. That's important. Because of what Christ has accomplished for me, there is work to accomplish for Christ. Now, this work, everyone hates the word work. Well, what are, you, are you talking about works-based salvation? No! But freaking out. This work doesn't save me from God's judgment. Faith in the work of Christ did that. But the thing that Christians don't like to talk about, but it's in 1 Corinthians 3, and it's in other places as well, that there is a different kind of judgment for believers. There is work that will be tested and rewards that will be received. We don't preach on that very much. I think I'm going to soon. People are like, well, I, don't, I just want to honor Jesus because I love him. I don't disagree with that. But Paul says, I'm going to work, and I'm going to receive reward for my work. And if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. What I do here matters. And in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about this idea of, like, we're all doing this work and stuff, and it's all going to be one day tested by fire. And some of us are going to smell like smoke when we get into heaven. Because that's all we're going to have. Just us and singe marks. But we'll get in. They're rewards. It's okay to be motivated that way. Not saved that way. People have a hard time dealing with that. But the belief in the resurrection also gives me perspective as I live. What do I mean by that? The world has very little to offer me. When I believe the resurrection... There's very little that it could compare because there's nothing in this world that's going to last. And there's absolutely nothing in this world that can save me from death. Nothing. So what does that mean as I, as I consider what's important in this life? The resurrection reminds me that everything here is temporary. It's all going to burn up in the end. And I am... And I will, therefore, willingly lose anything if it means knowing Christ. And I will deny myself any temporary thing or relationship or pleasure if it means I will gain the one relationship that lasts, I know, because of the resurrection for eternity. That's why Paul says, I consider all loss. Everything I've lost is rubbish. Junk, garbage, don't care about it because I gained Christ. Guy believes the resurrection. Belief in the resurrection, this is awesome one. It gives me comfort when I screw up. Maybe none of you screw up. I didn't hear any amens, right? Like, what's that like, Pastor? Okay. I don't know if I can relate to that. I'm sure my husband and wife can, but I don't know if I can. If Christ is living and working, He is continuing to make all things new. And the resurrection reminds me, especially when I'm screwing up royally, that I have a new life. 
that the old man is dead, the new man has come, and I am comforted to know that I have, by the resurrection, the power to fight sin, and I am forgiven if I fail. That's beautiful. And I only know that because of the resurrection. If Jesus is still in the tomb, I don't have hope that sin has been overcome. I don't. My sin being overcome. I, I need that. I'm glad other people are forgiven, but I need forgiveness. I need the resurrection. But it not only provides me comfort when I screw up, it gives me humility when I don't. Catch this. This one will get you. I love this one. Men, as in mankind, contributed absolutely nothing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the same way, I have contributed and done absolutely nothing to accomplish my rebirth. Nothing. I had no part in it, minus here's a bunch of sin, thanks for rebirth. Okay? That's all I contributed. If if I have been, Galatians 2.20, if I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if he's still in the tomb, he's not living through me. But if he is resurrected, he does live through me. Therefore, if I succeed, if I do well, if I pray and read my Bible, whatever things you think are good, if I do well in life, I know and boast in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ living through me. That's it. It ain't me. I know me. I suck. Jesus is the one living through me. And if he's not living, I'm going to be led to pride. And I'm going to think I'm better than you. And you're going to think you're better than me. I need the resurrection to humble me. Last couple, I believe that the resurrection gives me courage, dare I say, joy, as I suffer. Jesus Christ looked past the cross for the joy of knowing what was coming. What was that joy? Resurrection. His and yours. Mine. A mind on the resurrection is a mind that keeps the eternal perspective always. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. When we are with Jesus in eternity, we've been up there for 70 million years, right? Kicking back for 70 million years. Woo, this has been a great million years, right? 70 million years. We're going to look back at that 70 years we had on this green planet. And the greatest successes we've had. The businesses we've built. The families that we led. The accomplishments. They're going to measure up to like winning a first grade checkers championship certificate. That's what it's going to feel like. We're like, yeah, that was, yeah. But more than that, I believe that the worst pains that we have, the worst sufferings that we've experienced, the losses that we've had are going to seem like stubbing your toe on the path. In that perspective. And if we can live with that perspective, always thinking about eternity, always remembering there's much more than this blip of life, I believe we'll live differently. 
I therefore, knowing the resurrection, can grow in every trial, trial, knowing that life is but a breath. And I will say, the resurrection doesn't remove the emotion and the pain and, and all those issues that go with, with suffering. But it does direct it. It does restrain it. It does govern it. If nothing else, when the world crashes down around us, I go, resurrection. There's more to this life. Beyond this life. Lastly, belief in the resurrection gives me hope in life, but in death. What do I mean by that? Well, I believe in the God of the resurrection. My God is the one. I don't know how big your God is, okay? Let me tell you about my God. My God is the one who creates with a word out of nothing. My God is the one who takes ashes, burnt rubble, and creates beauty. My God is the one who takes that which is dead and breathes new life in it. Therefore, I will not lose hope when I suffer, when others suffer, or if I die. Because, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die, that's gain. That's gain. Belief in the resurrection takes a guy like Paul from murderer of Christians to martyr for Christians, able to say, I wish I could leave this place and be with Jesus. That's what he said. It's like, but I'm, I'm stuck here for a little bit longer. I got work to do. But it'd be better to be with Jesus. Man, the guy believed. Last section. I really mean it. It's really short. He says, verse 29 to 34 is where we'll end today. Otherwise, he says, what do you people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? I'm not going to go deeply into that. You could and be totally confused. But what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we, Paul speaks himself, in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Again, if speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. You know Paul did that? Fought beasts? most likely in some kind of arena for a lie. No, 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 just kidding, guys. Just kidding. Right? That's all I would have said once the line comes out. He'd say that. He says, if the dead are raised, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. Be deceived. Bad company, namely those who do not believe in the resurrection, ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame, Paul reminds them basically of the hypocrisy. He says, look, you guys baptize people for the dead, which I don't believe he's endorsing. It's never actually endorsed throughout church history. But I believe he's kind of basically making fun of me. You guys go do this. You baptize people in the name of Jesus, of the resurrection, for the dead, but you don't believe the dead are, are resurrected. It make a lot of sense, guys. The Mormons still practice this. I believe it's unbiblical, but this is where they get it. I believe he's kind of poking fun, if you will, at a practice that's begun in some of their mysticism, spiritual stuff. But he basically says, look, your actions don't match your said convictions. 
And I wonder sometimes if we're much different because as Christians, we only talk about the resurrection, I kid you not, on Easter. That's when everyone's talking about, this is the most important day. Like, what about 364, right? I'm glad we got the one day to talk about the resurrection. But Paul seems to say, like, this is pretty important to talk about all the time. So he charges them, and, and honestly, I charge all of us here, anyone that can hear me, wake up. Stop seeing and start preaching the resurrection. Start believing the resurrection. Preach it to yourself to begin with and then preach it to others. That is what distinguishes Christianity. Live as if you believe. Because someone who believes in the resurrection thinks and perceives life differently. We experience loss differently. We experience suffering differently. We experience joy differently. We experience temptation differently. We experience everything differently because I know that if death is the worst thing the world's got, boom! Jesus has it. He's got it. Nothing is hopeless if death is the worst. If the resurrection is true, If the resurrection is true, Christian, we'll talk about it all the time. We will take risks for the resurrection of Jesus all the time. And as you take those risks, as you step out and open your mouth, you will be persecuted for Jesus. Because we know, though, we'll do this because we know that we have not only something to accomplish, we also know that any work that we do isn't wasted, isn't forgotten. But we know that something greater is coming. Jesus is alive. And as we celebrate communion, which we do every Sunday, I can't help but think we've only got it half right. But what I mean is we're remembering the death of Jesus the body and the bread broken for, for us and the blood shed for us. And like, amen, there was a death. We need a dead Jesus, but we need a living, resurrected Jesus also. So as you communion, do not forget that, yes, you are bearing your soul. You are declaring to God, I, can, I have nothing to offer you, that you have done everything. But know that he has not only forgiven you, he has not only healed you, he has not only made you innocent, He has made you righteous and sinless and perfect through the resurrection. Your life is new. And if you have not experienced new life, if you're sick, guilt of your sin or the shame of sinning, you don't have to be there. You come to the table. You can believe in Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ risen. And you are leaving. And enjoy a family meal with us. Amen.